Last week, we were in Matthew 16, and the question that Jesus had was, who men say that I am? And they gave him a list of all kinds of very impressive people that any of us would like to be compared to. But then Jesus asked, who do you, each and every one of you, who every person must answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter had a very good answer. And it was very true. And Jesus said that his Father in heaven had revealed it unto him. And then we went to Acts chapter 4. We talked about how Jesus was that he was a, that rock that the church was built upon. It was, not, it was not Peter that he built his church on. It was what Peter said is what he's able to build his church on. Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, you will see that the words... Peter, rock, all of those things are right as far as you can make the judgment that it's not Peter that he's building his church on. But unfortunately, many newer versions of the Bible look at the capitalization and things like that, and you will fall right in line with the Catholic Church who says that Jesus built his church on Peter. So we have to be very careful about how we interpret Scripture. And we do not want to get into saint worship, which would be worshiping Peter because of how we misread the Scriptures or how it was mistranslated, ever so subtle, but, it, but being mistranslated. <clears throat> Jesus is either the rock that you will build your salvation on or he is the rock that you will stumble over. Your choice. We have been predestined to be saved. It was all worked out before you were ever born. It was all worked out. God determined, he predetermined how it was all going to happen but even though it was predetermined, God will never force you to do one thing or the other. We have a free will, and we are never forced into accepting Him or not. The decision is up to us. But it's all been taken care of in the past, and Jesus came to show us the way. <clears throat> Now I'm going to go to, we, I told you guys that at the end of last Sunday that we could, uh, you could go to 1 Peter and you can read because I wasn't able to get to it last week. So we're going to be reading that today. And I'm going to go ahead, instead of starting with uh, verse 18 of 1 Peter, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of 1 Peter. The reason that I was going to start last week at 18 was because of time and of course, I'm not a very good judger of time, 
and what's actually going to happen in the church service. I write things out, I try to plan, but I end up hopefully being moved by the Holy Spirit. I say things I never had plans to say. So I'm going to be sensitive to the Spirit, and I try really hard to get things in order and try to have things work out the way I want them to work out, but that doesn't happen very often. <clears throat> so, 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You're very secure because it's the power of God that keeps you through the faith that you have in Him. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not easy living on this earth being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not easy. He doesn't make it all wonderful. You will go through temptations to give up your faith, you will go through trials. You will go through cruelties. Those things will happen. Whom, this is verse 8, Whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow. Now you've heard me talk about this many, many times, or at least refer to it. This salvation, the prophets wrote about it in the Old Testament. 
And here in 1 Peter, he's saying that the very prophets that wrote about the salvation hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they looked into what they wrote and tried to figure it out. Now, this here is the best part of the Bible, in my opinion, that proves inspiration of the Scriptures. Because none of us are going to sit down and write out something that we know nothing about. We're not going to sit down and write a letter about something we cannot explain to somebody. But the prophets, that's exactly what they did. They wrote down things. Look at how long Isaiah is. Look at how long Jeremiah is. And they wrote it all out. Then Peter says they went back to what they wrote and read it and tried to figure it out. What, is, what does this mean? Who does that? No one except for people who are writing the inspired Word of God. Do you have the inspired Word of God in your hand right now? Do you carry it wherever you go? Do you read it? Do you not just say, I got the Bible, but is it, is, is it in your mind? Is it in your heart? It's got to come out of these pages and get into you. You must read and or listen to the Word of God. All of it. Twelve. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have Preach the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels were, were trying to figure it out as well. They were amazed by this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation. That's not just what you say. It's how you live. Why? Don't people want to come to church? It is all across America, there are people who do not want to come to church. Why? Last week, I started the sermon out talking about how churches in England and all of Europe have gone out of business and that there are new things in those beautiful buildings. All kinds of different businesses have used these churches. The th same thing is happening in America. There was a report done, uh, a survey done recently talking about all these small churches that have folded over the past several years. Uh, I think uh, Becky was talking about a new survey uh, was was that the one on how many people believe in God in America? I don't know if that's the one you were talking about or not, but it's down to like 
of people that you can just walk up to in America and ask, is God real or not? And we're down to 81. Now, the biblical worldview of Americans is down to 6%. Now, that could, that could be, I don't know what kind of questions are asked. Nobody's ever asked me that. Those questions that would determine whether I have a biblical worldview or not. But what I've been told, because I've heard George Barna talk about it in detail, the questions are not difficult. So it's not like tricking you into not having a worldview, a biblical worldview. We are declining in America as far as people who have a desire to go to church and to be with other believers. It is falling off rapidly. Why? Why is it happening? We have people up to my age. Y'all all know how old I am now. There are people that I know that are my age and maybe you know younger by a decade or so that grew up in churches. They grew up in the church. They became teenagers and did not have, it seems like they just had no issues with having sex before marriage. Is that ever preached on in church? Fornication. Do, have, we got so many other issues that we're talking about other things and we're forgetting the basic things. So you have a young woman. Young women have to protect themselves because they are the ones that are going to suffer the consequences. You understand? So young, they're going to, the women, the young ladies are going to get picked on because they're the ones that reveal the evidence of the sinful behavior. So I know people who brought up in church did not have a problem with fornication when they were teenagers. It didn't even have to be a boyfriend. It was just, all right, so they, they're going out and living a sinful life. Then they become pregnant. And because they've grown up in the church, they're embarrassed by it, and there are family members who won't know about it if they can eliminate it. Then they choose to go and go through the process of shedding innocent blood. The baby did absolutely nothing wrong but suffers the consequences of the decision to hide the fact that other sin was done. And that is, that's just something that comes to their mind, and they're willing to go through with it. How could a person who has grown up in the church come to that conclusion that that's the best way to handle it? It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. You can understand people who didn't grow up in church doing those things, but this is people who grew up in the church the church has failed miserably in America. Has failed miserably. And why? They've chipped away at the deity of Christ. When Jesus asked that all-important question, who do you 
say that I am. I, I can, if I have time later uh, in, this, in this message, I'll, I'll show you some things where the Bible itself has been changed. Not my Bible, not the one I preach out of, but you have Bibles sitting beside you in these pews that I have not said, get those things out of here. I want them to be there because I want you to turn to them and I'll, I'll show you where they have messed up. There are all kinds of new that are supposed to be better. They're written from the better manuscripts. That's, you'll hear that excuse all the time. But I'm here to tell you that those better manuscripts are not better, they're corrupted. There's only two Bibles. The Bibles that are written from the manuscripts that come from Antioch and the manuscripts that come from Alexandria. The majority, by far, of all the Bibles that are printed today come from the Alexandrian manuscripts, the copying of those. They're corrupted. The King James Bible comes from the ones from Antioch. It is not corrupted. It's that simple. You can get all kinds of good information. You can become a born-again child of God from any of them. You can't. There are plenty of great men of God who preach out of the corrupted ones, and they have a, a saving message of being born again, and people get born again. But do we live a holy Christian life as Americans, do we? Why are our, our churches closing up? You know, I haven't even got to 18 yet. And that's our starting point. So I was at 15, right? As I say, 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Now, I had forgotten that I read that, and now it makes perfect sense why I said everything I just said. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do, do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth 
and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Sometimes we just need to hear what the word of God says. It says it so well. You understanding that the word has been preserved forever? Men have a problem with how could we... They, what, they, what they say is, all right, this has been passed down through generations upon generations, hundreds and hundreds, and even a couple thousand years. How could we have the perfect word of God today because men has messed it up? Well, I have to agree, men has messed it up for the most part, but God said He would preserve His Word. You will hear uh, men of God who will say, well, the originals were perfect. And what we've got now, we've got to pick and choose and try to get it all back together. To, to Hopefully we have the, the, the pure Word of God. But God said He would preserve it. And I believe He has. We... Our humans, our ideas will fade away. Our Anything good we do is going to fade away. But the Word of God will not fall away. And this Word of God has the answer for our troubles and our eternity. It has the answer for that. So we need to pay attention to what the Word of God says. Chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye, each and every, ye means each and every one of us. See, that's another reason why I love the King James Bible. It doesn't say you, which could be just that person right there. When you see ye, that means each and every, talking to every one of you individually, but I'm, talk, I'm talking to all of you, but each one of you need to, to take this, ye also as lively stones. See, we need to be like Peter and answer the question right. Who do you say that I am? We need to be able to confidently say that Jesus is God in the flesh, perfect, a perfect sacrifice for me and you. And he died in our place. He shed his blood. He took his blood and took it to the true Holy of Holies to satisfy a perfect God. That now that God looks down on me, a pitiful soul, and he sees Jesus. And I'm saved because of it. We need to be lively stones. And when all these little lively stones come together, we have a church that proclaims the same thing, and the lost can come in and learn 
and we have the answers to all these problems that we're seeing. Are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling. I, asked, I told you before, he's either the stone or the rock that is your Savior, or he is the stone that you will stumble over. And a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation. Notice the word ye. Are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You weren't the chosen. You weren't the chosen people of Israel, but you're now chosen by what Jesus Christ did. Now, turn back to, we're going to go back to Acts. Now, you notice how all, Acts 4 talks about the stone, the rock. We, and, and here in 1 Peter, we've talked about the rock. All this ties together with, with what Jesus said to Peter after Peter said that amazing thing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now in Acts, we see where, and we read 4 last week, and we see where they were criticized, persecuted. Peter was, it got to the end of it, he basically was told, they were locked up overnight, he was told, do not preach in the name of Jesus. And he went and did it anyway. He, with boldness, he basically told them off. I mean, he really got after them really bad, the religious leaders of the day. And, and the, uh, they were amazed how they were, they were able to speak in boldness because they were unlearned and ignorant men. Okay, so now, I want to read out of Acts 5. What has happened in 5? They're locked up again. So they're locked up, and look at, at verse 19 of chapter 5. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So the, the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, they had locked them up. They're trying to keep them from spreading this word. 
And the angel of the Lord just let him out of prison one night and said, go to the temple and teach. All right, so what happens next is this morning they're, they're instructed to go and get them out of prison so they can, they can punish them and, and, and do what they need to do with them. So they go to the prison, the guards are all in their places, and they have no idea that there was no one in there. So they open the doors up to get a hold of them and take them to the council, and there's nobody there. All right, so down in 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You're speaking in the name of Jesus, and you're trying to uh, make us guilty of shedding this man's blood. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Remember, we have a free will. We can obey or not. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Alright, it's not good enough to lock them up. It's not good enough to beat them. And you're going to see where they beat them again. But... The only way to shut these people up is to kill them. And that's what they were going to do. But then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named, say it loud, Gamaliel. Who is this? Who's this guy? A doctor of the law. Now, Paul sat under him when he was growing up. Paul learned all of the rules and laws. He, Paul became a really good Pharisee because of sitting under this guy when he was growing up. This guy, doctor of the law, had, had in reputation among, among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So he said, get these guys out of here for a minute. I need to talk to you guys. He said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that what ye intend to do as touching these men. Now, he tells them that, remember, there was this guy, uh, I think it's Thutis, and how he, everybody followed, all these people followed him, and then he passed away, and then it all fell away. And then he said, and then there was this guy, Judas of Galilee, and that was in the time of days of taxing, and he, the same thing happened with him, and then he, he died, and then it all fell apart. Remember all those things? 
And he said, And now I say unto you, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. So he's saying, look, the same thing's going to happen with all this if Jesus was just a man. That's what he's saying. It's all going to fall apart. The guy's dead. But, but, this guy did have some wisdom. If it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. Wow. Now, how many times, and, and, and now I'm, I'm done with the normal sermon, that's, that's the sermon, but I just want to talk to you about some things. Because it's all about the Word of God and do you have it. And you trust that you have the Word of God preserved. I have perfect confidence that when I'm reading out of my King James Bible, I am reading the preserved Word of God. When Becky opened up with uh, a song today, I think there was a word in that song, Calvary. Do you, how many times, Calvary is a very important word to us as Christians, isn't it? How many times is it in the Bible? How many times is the word Calvary in our Bible? Anybody know? I mean, you would think a lot, right? Look at how many hymns that have the word Calvary in it. Anybody have a guess? If you have a King James Bible... It's there once. There is a, there's an NIV that's sitting beside you in the pews. How many times is it in the NIV? Hmm? Zero. Why? Why is it not in there? So where is it at in the King James Bible? It's in Luke 23. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but if you just want to see the evidence, go right ahead. Uh, in Luke 23, 33, it says... And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, along with the two thieves, one on his right and one on his left. There's two thieves there with him. And that's the only place. Now, the same story is told in Matthew and Mark and John. But what does it say in those places? Remember? G. Golgotha, which... In the King James, it says in John that that's the Hebrew way of saying it. And what does it mean? The skull. Now, if you was to open up your NIV that's beside you, or if you had an ESV, the English Standard Version, open it up to Luke 23, 33, and it will say, and when they come to the place which is called the skull, there they crucified him along with the thieves, so somebody go tell Calvary Baptist Church to change their name to Skull Baptist Church. How about uh, all the hymns that are in our hymn book? We need to change. We need to change them. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear to dark skull. Got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? No? 
to dark Calvary. One day they led him up Skull's Mountain. No, it should be Calvary's Mountain. There's all kinds of <laughs> in victory in Jesus. How he gave his life on Skull. We were talking in Sunday school about how do we know that the name of Satan was Lucifer? Because it's in our Bibles. It's in Isaiah 14, verse 12. But pick up, pick up your NIV or your ESV or who knows, all the other new versions, Lucifer will not be there. Lucifer's not there. You don't know that that's what his name was if you don't have a King James Bible. In John 3.16, I've talked about this before. In John 3.16, in the King James, there's 25 words there in that verse that every Christian should know by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 25 words. Now, in the, new, in the New International Version that's sitting in your pew, it, it leaves out begotten. In the ESV, it leaves out begotten. In the ESV, they leave out some other words. There's only 24 words, I believe, in the ESV. And I think there's 26 words in the NIV because they, they add some extra small words. But the key is that begotten is gone. Why is that so important? Why is having 25 words in the verse important? Well, if you got 25 words in John 3.16, Son is perfectly in the center. Jesus is supposed to be in the midst of everything we do. He's supposed to be the center of everything. And that, I mean, it makes sense to me that he would be in the exact middle of the verse that everybody would know. But, the other translations, he's moved off center. One way or the other, he's moved off. Begotten. We are called sons of God. There's all kinds of sons. In the, in the, in the Old Testament, uh, angels could be referred to as sons of God. But this is the only begotten son. But all the new versions of the Bible. We were talking in Sunday school today about... 1 Timothy 3.16. Read 1 Timothy 3.16. You get down to the part where in the King James it says, God was manifest in the flesh. In the newer versions, it just says He was manifest in the flesh. It's a capital H, so it's referring to deity. But why is that important? You, you'll, you'll read it and blow right by and never eat slow down, it won't even register unless you're really looking for it. Why is it important that it says God was manifest in the flesh? Because there are people out there that say Jesus was just a good person. He was like John the Baptist. He was like Elijah. He was like Jeremiah. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. Do you say that he is the Christ? the Son of the living God, can you say God was manifest in the flesh and went to a cross for you? Who do you say? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. 
Father, we thank you for preserving your word. And Father, that we need to be willing to fight for your word, that you preserved it, that we can have all confidence that we have it today. And Father, that there is a great enemy that is trying to get each and every one of us off course. Father, it has been happening from the beginning of time. Father, we know that you gave us example in Genesis 3 where your word was corrupted by Satan. And Father, he has been busy ever since, and we see it. And Father, we come up against it. Father, we pray that people would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that they will not be tricked, that the deity of Jesus will not be watered down at all. Father, give us the strength to fight for you, to stand up for you, to claim what Peter said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Father, that we, each and every one of us, would be lively stones, that when we come together, we build up a spiritual church, and that the lost will be drawn to the light. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.